Thanks for listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, joined as always by my miraculous and brilliant co-host, Jeff Simmons. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing fine. We always seem to find new adjectives for each other. I know. I have to. I have to keep googling. I have to keep going to the the thesaurus <laughs> to find something else that means wonderful. Just to just to describe you. So glad to be here with you today. We have an interesting interview coming up for you in just a bit. But of course, we are coming to you today just on the heels of the January sixth hearing in Congress, which you may have been tracking today. And Jeff, I had a chance to listen to some of the hearings. I don't know that I heard every word, but you know what really jumped out at me was the intensity of this focus today on former President Donald Trump and what he knew and what he did not only on January sixth and as this insurrection at the Capitol was in progress, but what he did weeks or even months before that. And, you know, I guess the upshot is that the committee made this case that Donald Trump lost the election. He knew he lost it. But by Election Day, he and some of his advisors and his fans had already put this very elaborate plan in place to steer the outcome in his favor. What's been also so interesting is just, you know, some of the takeaways from today's hearing and the fact that the Secret Service turned over, what was it, about a million, more than a million records, which kind of shows all the communications leading leading up to and through this insurrection, Celeste. Exactly. And of course, the big news from the very, very end of the uh, hearing on uh, today was the House Committee's unanimous decision to issue a subpoena to former President Trump to testify. And just looking at some of the reaction on that, Lawrence Tribe, uh, somebody that I've spoken to in the past for stories, he's a noted constitutional scholar and a professor emeritus at Harvard. And he said about the whole hearing, the evidence set forth leaves no reasonable doubt that Trump personally led the plot to overturn the government by violence if necessary. Attorney General Garland no longer has any alternative but to indict him. I don't know. What, what do you think about that, Jeff? How, how do you see just, this unfolding now? Oh, no, it's just so amazing. It's going to be interesting to see if he agrees to the subpoena that's been issued, if he agrees to comply with that. Uh, you know, it was unanimous. It was interesting uh, watching Representative Liz Cheney, who said it's their duty to offer the full picture of the, of the effort, you know, which showed also that Trump repeatedly sought to join the crowd at the Capitol, even after it became violent. And so his supporters were attacking police. I mean, one, you know, this is what I had read uh, a short while ago, just pointing out that one national security official who, uh, whose identity was kept anonymous said that the president wanted to lead tens of thousands of people to the Capitol. And I think this is the quote. I think that was enough grounds for us to be alarmed. It's just, it's just amazing. You know, how can he deny that he was involved when there's been so much evidence laid out through these, what was it? 10, nine hearings since July, uh, through these hearings about how involved and engaged he was in all of this. Absolutely. And I see now just after, uh, uh, just a moment ago, we're now seeing some reports coming out. 
uh, Donald Trump, as you know, has been suspended from Twitter, has been suspended from Twitter for quite a while. But uh, he has his own truth social website, kind of a Twitter dupe. I don't know. But in any case, he apparently is quite sore that they didn't ask him to testify sooner. And he says, why did they wait till the very end, till the final moments of the last meeting? And essentially, probably no surprise to anybody who's listening to this, says the whole committee has been a total bust, quote unquote, um, that is only served to further divide our country, which, by the way, is doing very badly, a laughingstock all over the world. Sort of an interesting response, maybe not terribly surprising. Um, should be noted that a number of his associates who were asked to testify in these hearings did take the fifth. Yeah, I'm going back to Liz Cheney because I've been just so incredibly impressed with how she's handled the, uh, you know, handled her participation in these hearings, Celeste, that she, you know, she said that none of this would have happened without Donald Trump. He was, quote, personally and substantially involved in all of it. I mean, if you watch these hearings, I'm curious if people's minds are substantially changed or if they are in their, you know, their fixed corners. And no matter what they see in this hearing, you either have believed he was fully responsible and, you know, this is backing up your thoughts, or you believe he had nothing to do with it and that this, you know, and that he should not be held uh, responsible for any of this. And if th- these hearings will even cause you to reconsider that, or if you are just looking the other way and ignoring, you know, what the evidence that has been presented, it's kind of confounding when I've even talked with people, Celeste, and I, I do know someone uh, well, who no matter what these hearings uh, indicate is not going to change his mind. He believes that Donald Trump was right and that he had little to do with this, which is just so amazing to hear from people. That's really a good point, Jeff. I think that a lot of people, and I think we may have talked about this on the program before, but the composition of this House committee itself would probably play into those feelings, at least on on the part of people who are tend to be supporters of Donald Trump, because uh, the Republicans that are on the committee, like uh, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, um, those people were already obviously Trump critics, uh, and uh, Trump supporters did not want to participate in this. I think they sought in some way perhaps to uh, to diminish its importance, the authority of these committee hearings by not participating so that they would uh, sort of have the cover of saying, look, this is a sham. Uh, this isn't really a bipartisan effort. This isn't a fact finding mission. This is a show trial. But I don't know, Jeff. I mean, there's certainly a lot of other stuff going on in the news today. I, for one, I don't know if you had a chance to see this as well, but certainly looking at uh, the decision in Parkland, Florida, where mm-hmm. the jury has ruled um, against the death penalty, but for life in prison prison for the the school shooter from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas case. Yeah, no, that's just astounding. I was just on a call before this, and it was not even on this topic, and people went right to it about how astounded they were with this decision. Yeah, and certainly the families have seen some coverage of the families being really distraught and uh, whether you uh, have an opinion on the death penalty, whether you are for it, against it, certainly I think we can understand these families wanting to seek justice. Their children can never be returned to them. There may have been some some mitigating factors about whether uh, the shooter in this case was mentally ill, maybe was suffering some uh, uh, effects of things that happened in his childhood, even before birth. There are some questions about, about that. So uh, maybe that was a slightly mitigating circumstance for him. 
but still quite quite shocking to see. And then, of course, relatedly, we've also been looking at this week the um, the outcome in the Alex Jones case. Speaking of mass shootings and his uh, monumental, something like one billion dollars yeah, in damages yeah. that he's going to have to pay to families that he maligned of uh, children, uh, people who were murdered in in Newtown, Connecticut, back then, Jeff. It's just amazing. $965 million in damages. Just an unbelievable verdict. I mean, it's just, you know, I feel like this brings at least a modicum of hope to the families of the Sandy Hook victims that these, you know, that when people perpetuate hoaxes in the future about things like this, that they, you know, that that there is a resolution, that there is something that, you know, or restitution, excuse me, uh, that will bring them at least some comfort knowing that people cannot spread lies like that. And the, the thing that I found really shocking, I mean, certainly it is a, a phenomenal amount of money. Again, uh, in that case, as well as in the Parkland case, no amount of money is going to replace Agreed. what, what these families have lost. And, and we all know that. And I, I know that, you know, you're, you're looking at it in, in light of, uh, you know, symbolically at least. Yes. But the, the thing that, that really has sort of, um, been a little bit unnerving is to look at the reaction of Alex Jones actually laughing laughing at the verdict and saying, look, I don't have the money and I don't know where they think that they're going to get any money from me. But also at the same time, using this to encourage people to donate or spend money on his website and so on. Um, he actually, interestingly enough, for a guy who was just on trial for claiming that the Sandy Hook shooting never happened, he called the trial, quote, all made up, mm-hmm. which uh, sort of does not indicate to me um, necessarily. I can't get into Alex Jones's mind, of course, and, and would you want to, but doesn't necessarily indicate to me that this is a man who has, has learned something profound um, from from this experience. No, yeah, and he, uh, he was encouraging his audience to donate money to his company, buy its products, basically to offset the damages that are now owed. Right, right, exactly. So, certainly a lot in the news to talk about. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, heavy stuff there. But today we are going to take a step back and talk about not only what's in the news, but about the news business itself. And later in the show, we are going to open our phone lines so you can chime in on this and anything else that we've discussed today. First, we just want to give you a very quick reminder that to keep bringing you all this important news and all this important conversation. WBAI needs your help. So please go to WBAI.org today and pledge your support in the name of this program, Driving Forces. Our BAI Buddy program makes it easy to set up a recurring monthly donation in any amount you choose. Help keep community radio alive and well in New York. Go to WBAI.org to give today. So now on to our guest and our show. Uh, you may have heard of Alden Global Capital. It's a hedge fund that has bought up distinguished newspapers like the Baltimore Sun, the Chicago Tribune, the Denver Post, and of course, the New York Daily News, where both Jeff and I worked in the past, and which has moved to slash spending at these papers by getting rid of staff, selling off news buildings, and jacking up subscription costs. So the latest on this is that Alden Papers are going to stop printing editorial board endorsements of candidates for president, president, U.S. Senate, 
and governor. Some of this will happen right away. Some of it will stop after this midterm cycle. The papers will still be allowed to run endorsements for candidates in local races. And it's worth noting here, Jeff, that Alden is now the second biggest newspaper owner in the country, right behind Gannett, Mm -hmm. which I should add just uh, today announced its own major cost-cutting measures, stopping 401k employer matches, mandatory furloughs, and more. So why are Alden Papers not going to be endorsing candidates in these top-of-the-ticket races anymore? According to the New York uh, reporting in the New York Times, Alden has said it's, quote, newspapers would continue to cover political races but would no longer endorse in presidential races or the increasingly nationalized contests for governor and Senate, unquote, end quote, because they've essentially become a battleground for what they call the culture wars. The editorial also indicated that at the same time with misinformation and disinformation on the rise, readers are often confused, especially online, about the differences between news stories, opinion pieces, and editorials. So what does that all mean? So we all know that newspaper endorsements may not carry the weight they used to have before the advent of new forms of digital media. And there are plenty of places to get your news and to get information on who you might want to vote for besides newspapers. But still, people in the news business and beyond are speaking out about Alden's decision and what they think is really behind it. So is this a smart move in a super partisan time? Is this a money-minded dodge? Or is it something else completely? One of the people speaking out about this is Casey Seiler, the editor of the Times Union newspaper of Albany. Jeff and I spoke to him about his thoughts on the wisdom, or lack thereof, of Alden's decision to end the tradition of endorsing candidates. Let's take a listen to that segment right now. So, Casey Seiler, thanks so much for joining us on Driving Forces. Really great to have you here with us again. And we asked you to come back on the program to discuss this recent column that you wrote, uh, Silence is Not an Option, for your newspaper, The Times Union. And it was about how some newspapers or newspaper chains are not going to be endorsing political candidates anymore. And wanted to start out with asking you, why did you feel it was important for you to speak out on this, given that the policy does not affect your newspaper? Well, number one, because I have a column that I have to write every week. <laughs> and this was a subject that that moved me. And uh, actually, the news broke. Um, I, I believe it was Katie Robertson in The New York Times who first reported it uh, uh, a week ago Thursday that Alden global capital, the larger papers that are currently owned by by Alden, which, of course, includes, you know, venerable papers like the Baltimore Sun and the Chicago Tribune are no longer going to their editorial page, I should say, are no longer going to make endorsements in major uh, races. And that includes presidential U.S. Senate and gubernatorial races. They'll keep doing it in congressional races and selected uh, hot button local races as well. And, you know, their their argument in an editorial that was included in Katie Robertson's story in The Times noted that, uh, and this is a quote, as the public discourse has become increasingly acrimonious, common ground has become a no man's land between the clashing forces of the culture wars. In other words, the the idea that editorial boards are making endorsements uh, tends to call into question the objectivity of the news side of the um, of the outlet, and I 
I think that that is uh, a, a problematic um, position. I understand all those arguments. I understand, goodness knows, the kind of um, politically polarized uh, atmosphere that we are all working in now. But the bottom line is, if you have an editorial board, it is there to take positions, to make arguments based on uh you know reason and fact that that invariably are going to advantage one policy position over another and in the case of endorsements one candidate over another and you know i've been on the times union's editorial board really for only about about 3 years now but of course i've taken part in endorsement edit board meetings as a reporter and the reporters in those discussions play kind of supporting roles for a long time. Um, and I know how much work goes into the, you know, the, the, um, the panel discussions with the candidates and in, in framing the ultimate editorials that, um, that run online and in the Times Union. Casey, you, you talk quite critically in your piece about what Alden Global Capital, the owner of the papers, as we've noted, uh, um, affected by this policy, might be trying to accomplish. Uh, overarchingly, what do you see as these goals? Because I'm, and I'm also really curious about even your colleagues. Was anyone convinced by their argument that this is the right approach and could be setting a trend? Oh, no, I, I know that there are people who you know who and uh, Alden is is certainly not the the only uh, chain that has that has made this move. I think it's also worth noting that we're only talking about a certain subset of Alden's papers. Many Alden papers have been so hollowed out by the loss of staff that they're not able to work up a staff produced editorial on any subject, you know, uh, endorsements or or otherwise. But no, I, you know, Gannett is is kind of dialing back some of their um, uh, editorial content as well. You can you can certainly make the argument as to whether or not they're doing this for journalistic reasons or for kind of more bottom line financial reasons. Um, I I can't prove either of those, you know, one way or or the other. But of course, Alden has a reputation as being. Um, uh, uh, pecunious, I think might be, might be the word. <laughs> Cheap might be, might be another way to, uh, to put it. They're, they're not known for lavishing resources on, on newsrooms. Let's put it that way. But, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, when it comes to editorial pages and opinion pages, if you are trying to avoid positions that might be controversial, you're making a category error. That's exactly why those pages exist. It, it, it you know, they're not there to be, um, uh, to be bastions of, you know, one political ideology or, or certainly not to serve the interests of, of one party or the other party or any party, but they are there to, to express, uh, responsible opinions in a, in a strong fashion. And if you are getting out of major endorsements, it's like saying we we uh, want to give you vibrant opinions produced by people who are paid to produce them on policies 
you know, large public policy questions like abortion, like education, uh, Second Amendment rights, you name it. But we're not going to express opinions on uh, helping you uh, make your decision on the politicians who are going to end up voting on those those policies. It, and that just seems to me to to be abandoning the field. And maybe Jeff can ask you about uh, about what happened in your editorial board meeting that you talked about with Governor Kathy Hochul and controller Tom DiNapoli. But I did want to ask you this, Casey Seiler, as somebody who has covered politics for a long time uh, and have had people on the on the straight news side, not as a member of an editorial board. Um, I have tried to interview people in the past in political contexts, and they said, why should I talk to you? Your newspaper already endorsed the other guy. You're biased against me. There is no point in me having this conversation. And I've tried to explain many times, look, I don't write the editorials. I don't make the endorsements. I also don't deliver your newspaper. So if it fell in a puddle last night, I'm sorry for that, but it wasn't me. You know, do you, do you have any thoughts on how, uh, editorial positions, specifically candidate endorsements, affect your reporters who are out on the field who have nothing to do with them but are trying to cover everybody who's running in any contest? I I mean, happily, the Times Union has done reporting that has made, at one time or another, has made just about every candidate or elected official in the state, probably not every, but a number of, you know, prominent ones, happy or sad. So in other words, everybody can kind of select from that, that box of chocolates. You know, um, people say we're in the bag for Kathy Hochul. Uh, they apparently haven't read our coverage of, you know, the procurement involving, you know, millions of, of COVID tests. People claimed we were in the bag for Governor Cuomo. That did not <laughs> bear out so well. I, you know, I will note the classic case is. The Times Union endorsed Andrew Cuomo. He earned the endorsement of our editorial board three times. And then in March of 2021, we were, as far as I can tell, the first paper to call for him to resign in, um, in March of 2021, largely because of the stonewalling of data over, um, COVID deaths in nursing homes. And then after the AG's report came out, uh, within, I think about four hours, we demanded that he be impeached. And of course, he resigned about a, about a week later. So in other words, we are not we're not press agents. The editorial board is not a, is not in any way a group of press agents for the people we endorse. Um, but yeah, no, I, I to get back to your question, I'm I'm absolutely uh, aware that there are people who conflate the editorial board with the paper's coverage. And that's a newspaper literacy problem that. We, like a lot of, like a lot of papers, like a lot of media outlets are, are trying to, are trying to address, trying to educate people, um, on. And, uh, and all we can say, as I noted in the column, is that, uh, editorial positions or the opinions of the editorial board have no impact on our news coverage. And that while the, um, the editorial board obviously reads the Times Union, they also read a lot of other, um, papers and consult a lot of other outlets. And they are in no way beholden to only opine on topics that come up in, in staff produced journalism from the Times Union. That's why they weigh in on national issues, on international issues. 
at times. That's um, that's that's just what they do, and they do it very well in in award winning fashion. You know, I'm going to jump in here. I just, um, as you're speaking, I'm reflecting on what it was like when I worked with Bill Thompson and we ran up against Mike Bloomberg for mayor and how, uh, you know, to us on the campaign, we felt that the New York Times was basically, whether it was editorial or whether it was non-editorial pages, were siding with Bloomberg. And yet, you know, and yet, you know, those endorsements are still valuable in specific areas. I don't know if I'm making sense or not right now, but I'm just reflecting on this, on the importance of endorsements in certain races and in certain areas. And it just brings me to the point of how much do newspaper endorsements these days matter in general and as compared to the past? I mean, I think I think they probably matter less now than they used to. Um, I think that's just that's that's just fact in a social media age where everybody has a take and everybody uh, is a publisher. All they need, you know, is a smartphone or a Twitter feed or what have you to to zap it out to thousands or even tens or hundreds of thousands of people. I think that um, that the opinion of of a newspaper editorial board doesn't have uh, as as large a, a caliber as it were. But I think it does still matter in the sense that. Tens of thousands of people still read the Times Union, um, as they, as they do so many other outlets. You know, I, I'm sure a lot of people read the Baltimore Sun and the Chicago Tribune and, and, uh, those Alden papers that are, that are essentially getting out of this game. Um, but I, I think it depends on the race. I think it depends on the candidate or the, the, the vying candidates. But um, I think they do still matter in the sense that people read this stuff. And um, and I, I, you know, a lot of the times the the critique is we shouldn't be telling people who to vote for. We're not telling people who to vote for. We're telling people who the editorial board of the Times Union, which is a set of, you know, discrete individuals who were smart and thoughtful and you can read all about them um you know on our on our uh, website uh these are the people who um these are the candidates that that those folks think are the best in this race you know where we only have a certain number of choices we are going to tell you who we think is the best choice but do your own do your own work look into the issues that that we're raising in addition to issues that we might not um, bring up in, in our editorials, come to your own decision, but don't, don't abandon the field and don't kind of throw up your hands and say, my vote doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter because it does. We're talking to Casey Seiler. He is the editor of the times union, the paper of record in our state capital of Albany, New York. And Casey, I wanted to ask you about one of the lines in the same column that we've been talking about, which, uh, which is headline silence is not an option about the uh, pullback of some newspapers, newspaper chains from making political endorsements. And I'm going to sum this up very briefly, but essentially you said that 
you have reporters, straight news reporters in these meetings as well. After the editorial board concludes its questioning, these reporters can ask whatever they want about whatever they want to these uh, officials who want this endorsement. And I think you said something along the lines of this is essentially a price that they have to pay or can consider uh, taking the time to sit down with the editorial board uh, and answer also these questions from straight news reporters if they want the endorsement. Can, can you know, talk a little bit about that and and why it's OK for them to to make that calculation that they might have to pay the price of answering questions from straight news reporters in order to participate in this endorsement process? Yeah. And and sometimes they are politicians who do not often or not as often as they should make themselves available to to our reporters. You know, I uh, even before I was on the edit board in 2018, I was kind of the designated uh, statehouse reporter when Governor Cuomo, then Governor Cuomo came in. And we just we had a good old time. <laughs> you can listen to to audio ex, uh, excerpts from that discussion where, for example, donations that he got from this healthcare company down in the Hudson Valley came up. And then a couple of weeks later, he had to admit, oh, remember what I told you there? Well, that turns out not to be the case. Um, it was it was very interesting. But, yeah, the, the way that they that these meetings run is the editorial board led by our outstanding uh, opinion editor, Jay Jockenwitz, kind of takes the lead in asking the questions. Um, and Jay opened the session with Governor Hochul that took place a little bit more than a week ago by hitting her up with, you know, three or four pretty tough questions about uh, digital gadgets, which was the company I was mentioning before that provided the state with uh, millions of, uh, of COVID tests at what turned out to be uh, a higher price than other states did and digital gadgets you know, uh, principal managers were very generous donors to the Hochul campaign. And the governor answered those questions and said what what she has said before, but in greater depth about um, her insistence that political donations play no role in who got a procurement, that DOH was in charge of that procurement, and she didn't know who was going to get it and, and doesn't want to know. Um, and, uh, and Chris Bragg, who had written, um, so many stories on, on the same topic, as well as Brendan Lyons, who's our Capitol Bureau chief and our managing editor for investigations was also there. And so once all the members of the editorial board kind of were able to put their questions forward, and we talked about everything from, you know, the Micron facility that was, um, that just earlier that day had been announced, uh, to go to be developed outside Syracuse to what that might mean for the university at Albany and the College of Nanoscale and all that. Then Chris asked a couple more questions on procurement and uh, how the campaign and the executive chamber sort of deal with um, donors. And then Brendan Lyons asked a question on a topic that he had discussed with the executive chamber before, but had not asked in a public forum and that concerned whether or not the executive chamber was looking into these allegations that uh, were bubbling up within the state police against Kevin Bruin who was the um who was the superintendent um and governor Hochul God bless her confirmed that yes indeed she had asked her counsel to look into these allegations and um 
And she didn't want to get into a personnel issue, but, but that was the case. And we pushed back a little bit and said, Hey, you know, he's not, he's not a Walmart manager. He's the head of the state police. Can you give us a little bit more on, on, on this? And on Friday, as, as the world entire now knows, um, the superintendent announced that he would be stepping down two weeks hence. So there you go. It was a a good session. She was there for more than an hour. She answered all our questions. Um, I, I hope that, that she thought that it wasn't a gotcha session because I, I genuinely don't think it was. You know, Casey, one of the things I do like is when publications also show us the full transcripts of the editorial board interviews. I find it very informative uh, and helps me, at least as a reader, often to understand why they might have taken a position ultimately. We often make the case that there's a bright line between the opinion and the news sections, and we've talked a little about this uh, in the interview already, but that line seems to be more and more blurred with the rise of new platforms and social media and some cable news programming. What more can we do to emphasize this? I mean, you know, there, there, as you note, there are different uh, standards for different outlets and different publications. I myself like to hear from reporters on TV news shows. I don't like to hear from pundits. Um, I, I think that more needs to be done, especially online. And, you know, in, in a print newspaper, it's very clear what's on the editorial page and it's very clear what what's on the news pages or the sports pages or the features pages. Online, you're absolutely right. Everything kind of goes into the same blender. And we, like a lot of papers, are looking at ways to make sure that when somebody clicks on an editorial, it is clearly labeled as such. A column is clearly labeled as such, whether it's my column or or someone else's. And, and that there are, you know, uh, cards or explainers that kind of tell people that remind people, Hey, here's what you're looking at. You're looking at an editorial. Here's how we produce our editorials. Here's how you can write a letter to the editor to express your own feelings. Um, and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's a real challenge because, um, forget our website when, uh, an editorial or a column gets zapped out on, on Twitter or Facebook or wherever that breaks down. It's hard to maintain that Chinese wall when everything is getting mixed up in the, in the blender of social media. You're absolutely right. And just finally, Casey Seiler, are you uh, ever thinking about a time when uh, more and more newspapers, maybe no newspapers will make endorsements? And uh, you've already outlined why you think the, uh, the Alden argument is kind of you know, hollow and ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, their argument is essentially, in part, uh, the endorsements do more to alienate people than they do to inform people. Do you see it as sort of the future of the news business that newspapers are just going to run away from anything that could upset people in order to survive, specifically including political endorsements? I, I, I hope not. Um, I, I don't know. I have given up trying to predict, you know, the, the, the future of, of the media business. I think that, um, I, I, I don't think that political polarization is going away. I, um, all I can say is that this country has 
lived through periods of extreme political polarization before and newspapers did not get out of of the endorsement game. I, I, I really think it just comes back around to um, to to the question of what is the what's the line between endorsing candidates and endorsing policy positions? In other words, let's say you are X newspaper and your editorial board has taken a strong stand in favor of abortion rights, you know, that, that you recognize that abortion rights are central to women's, to women's rights, to women's health, et cetera, et cetera. But in a closely held, um, political race, you're going to stay silent in a, a, a vicious fight between a candidate who is um, a fan of, I don't know, a six-week abortion ban and somebody who believes that the, the right to abortion needs to, be, um, needs to be preserved. Now, you can turn that around if your editorial board is strongly against abortion. You know, are you going to stay silent in a battle between candidates who are, who are coming at it from, from either side of that, um, you know, that, that very fraught debate? Um, it just seems, it just seems silly to me. It seems chicken, <laughs> you know? And Casey Seller, so many more questions to ask you, but for now, let's leave it with where can people find out about, uh, find out more about you and your work and the, uh, the Times Union? Please go to timesunion.com. I recommend you subscribe. We currently have great deals going. And, uh, and wherever, wherever you are hearing this, please remember to support local journalism however you can. Casey Saller is the editor of the Times Union in Albany. Thank you so much for joining us here on Driving Forces today. Thanks so much. Great talking with you. So welcome back. You are listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, here as always with the delicious Celeste Katz-Marston. If you are just tuning in, we just heard from Casey Seiler, editor of the Albany Times Union, on the decision of Alden Global Capital to stop allowing its papers to print editorials endorsing candidates for president, U.S. Senate, and governor. What do you think about this? It is time to call us, 212-209-2877. That is the number to call, 212-209-2877. Do you think newspaper endorsements matter? Do you think it is wrong to prevent newspapers from printing endorsements as Alden Global Capital is doing? How do you make your decisions on who to vote for? 212-209-2877. Give us a call now. We will be right back in just a few moments to take your calls. Oh, baby. 
Al Green, glad you're mine here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz Marston here with Jeff Simmons. That song is my special anniversary shout out to my husband, Jonathan. So if you're listening, honey, I love you. Happy anniversary. As we said, we are now officially ready to take your calls. 212 209 2877 is the number to call. 212 209 2877. Call in. What did you think about our talk with Casey Seiler, editor of the Albany Times Union? Do you think newspaper endorsements matter? Do they matter to you? Are they dead? Does anybody care? What are your thoughts on the other big headlines we talked about today? The January 6th hearings, a jury giving the Parkland, Florida shooter a life sentence instead of the death penalty. The Alex Jones case, $1 billion settlement with the families of Sandy Hook. And he is still out there raising money saying that the uh, the thing was a big laugh and he's never going to pay uh any of the the money that he's owed to these suffering families. What is on your mind today? 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Wow. I guess I'm upset. I really thought the reason that you chose Al Green, glad your mind was because of me. But okay, I'll deal with it. I think Jonathan Jonathan is important. He, yeah, he's, he, he has, he has, he's been a factor in my life for, uh, since 1996. Uh, so yeah, but it's just, uh, it is unbelievable here. So much news today. Looking forward to hopefully hearing from people. But, uh, if we have a moment here, I will always take them on. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Oh yeah. What I was going to say is, you know, what's been on my mind ever yeah. since this announcement came out about the, you know, banning, you know, the certain newspaper endorsements was how as a reporter, I always thought these were important for my, you know, for my newspaper, uh, whether it was the post or the news at that point or the Bergen record where I had worked with it 10 years, especially on a very local level, those endorsements mattered so much to people because, and to campaigns, because they want to pull the quotes from them and use it in, you know, in their campaign literature. It's, but it's, it's, I'm really curious if people think they're valuable these days. Think about it, the Celeste, that when the endorsement came out in the congressional race with Jerry Nadler versus Carolyn Maloney, conventional wisdom was that was for the, that area. That was a very important endorsement that that was going to influence voters. Now, given that how wide that gap was between Maloney and Nadler in the end, I don't know how much that endorsement really carried that if that caused the widest gap or if it was other things like even gender identity politics. Anyway, very important. True. Very true. 212-209-2877-212-209-2877. We're going to go to a caller right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Hi, Celeste and Jeff. This is Bertolt. How's it going? I'm doing fine. Great show. Thank you. I am saying that I am totally against endorsement by any newspaper uh, or any uh, public organization because 
it clearly influences the um, the race. Um, that is why when CPB um, gives money to radio station like ours, like the for-profit um, radio station like ours, uh, one of the things that they do, they do not want endorsements of candidates, and they do not want us to have candidates on the air with us, like um, inviting equal time. all other okay. candidates uh, e- equally. So, I mean, I think it's uh, a bit uh, hypocritical to think that these endorsements do not matter. They do matter, and we know that they matter. We also know that radio stations, newspapers, and all of that stuff are biased. They are usually, you know, biased, period, one way or another. And, and even if they try not to be biased, human beings are biased. You know, as the less you have your choices, you know, maybe leaning uh, middle left. Uh, and so if you were to endorse something, you know, you would endorse something that fits, you know, your description of what, you know, the political landscape should look like. Yeah, and Bertolt, I'm going to jump in here. What's so interesting is, and on this show, as our listeners know, we will also call out when we don't hear back from certain candidates because we've invited a number of candidates on and like Lee Zeldin's campaign, no one even gets back to us. But you know what? We've made a point of reaching out to them repeatedly because we want them to have equal time on our show. If we're, and look, we've also had Governor Hochul on, but when she was lieutenant governor, we've been pursuing her as well to give her an opportunity to speak here on the station, but they're not responding to us. I want to interrupt with something, though, Bertolt, because our listeners know why we always make a point of bringing up BAI buddies and why it's important for our station. You were at a fundraiser last night at SOBs for WBAI. How did that go? Uh, it went really well for Wednesday, middle of the week. Uh, first time we have this event uh, post-COVID, so we figured there are people who are still on, on the on the fence. You know, people are dancing, uh, walking by each other with no mask. Uh, some of them had masks, so we knew that would be uh, that would affect it. Uh, we did have um, a full house. It, it wasn't packed. Uh, we didn't expect that, uh, but it was um, a nice crowd. And so I think that's going to send out the signal to SOBs that we can fill out this this, this space. And yeah, and that's why and Celeste and I will mention also if people still want to donate where they should go, we'll come back to that in a few moments. But from what I saw, it looked like it was a very fun event. And I'm glad that WBAI did this to also bring our listeners in to meet a number of people like the folks at Cone Sabor Latino who organized that event. It, it looked like yeah, it was a fantastic also fundraiser. Acknowledge, acknowledge that uh, quite a few board members came to support the event, even though there was a conflict with a board meeting. Uh, they came in, um, we had like four or five board members and, um, and an ex-board member that came to support the station. So, um, and then they, they, got, they had a good time. They spoke to each other and then to Linda Perry, program director. We had fun. Yeah. Bertolt, thank you so much for calling us today. We're glad. This is why I love WBAI, because we listen to each other's shows as well. We pay attention to what other folks are doing at the station all the time. Bertolt, thank you so much for giving us a call today. Okay, thank you, Brad. So since we did this, Celeste, we should talk about how people can support WBAI. Absolutely. And remember, if you want to call in, we still have a few more minutes. We can take your calls. 212-209-2877. 212 212- 
800-209-2877. Did you have a chance to watch uh, or listen to any of the January 6th hearings today? Do you think this is sort of case closed against President, former President Donald Trump, or are you not quite convinced? Do you think that he's going to respond to the subpoena? How will he respond? 212-209-2877 is the number to call here at Driving Forces. 212-209-2877. But Jeff is right. Jeff is right. We should remind you while we are uh, here and have a moment to talk to you about it, uh, to keep bringing you these vital conversations about the issues and the people affecting our politics, our public policy, the way we live, the way we work, the way we go to school. We need your help. Please take just a few moments today. Go to WBAI.org. Give as generously as you can to support the station. Become a BAI buddy in the name of this program, Driving Forces. We just celebrated, Jeff, four years, four years on the air as the team here at Driving Forces, bringing you uh, all the latest and greatest in public policy and uh, also in politics and lots more. And the thing is also when you donate, also when you go to our website, check out, you could get certain gifts for certain levels of donations. I have to tell you, when I've worn my WBAI mask or had my WBAI tote bag when I'm on the streets, I almost always get stopped, not because they know who I am, but because they see the WBAI logo. And I'm amazed at how many times I run across loyal listeners, which is wonderful. We have another caller on the line. Let us get to that call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and what is on your mind? Uh, my name is Connie, and I live in Chelsea in Manhattan, and I'm 84, and when I was uh, 20, I had a kid who, by the time she was five and I was 25, uh, President Kennedy was shot, and uh, we were watching, and then Jack Ruby was shot, um, you know, just everything started to happen, and my daughter said, Mom, do you think all the men are just going to keep shooting each other all the way, and just all the men will be gone? I said, well, I don't know, but we're not going to watch this anymore. We're going to go out because we were close to the park. So we ran out in, in Central Park. But if, if, well, I have people in my family who are very much for um, what they keep calling President Trump. That was the weirdest part was hearing people as President Trump, President Trump, normalizing that sound. But in any case, I have people in my family who are for him. And, and I said, you know, at the time, if, if I had any idea, I'd been in a bunch of peace marches, but, you know, I said if I'd had any idea that, that we knew who had killed Kennedy, uh, if it was somebody in, in, in the government, you know, if we could, I would have been right there marching on that. I mean, marching and, and, and climbing in, I don't know, as a mother, if I would be climbing in the windows, but, you know, uh, I, I could see that. And I said, uh, you know, if those people think that, that the, that the election really was stolen, and my son-in-law, who's the the, the guy who's for for um, uh, Trump, he said he said I have no no mm-hmm. uh, worry about that. He said I, I have you know he said I completely believe it was it was stolen. And Connie, we're going to have to wrap up shortly. Let me ask you one one a quick answer from you. Do you think newspaper endorsements are valuable these days? Um. I, I haven't read a newspaper since Murray Kempton used to write. You know, I haven't. I'm, I'm not in, into reading other people's ideas. Uh, it's hard enough listening to, to BAI when they'll have a whole half hour of everybody being on one slant, and be like, "Hello, you know, could we could we hear something else?" But yeah, uh, uh, I I agree uh, that uh, thing is when 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 a 
when a newspaper is for somebody, it's it's very clear anyway. When anybody's mm-hmm. very clear, you know, it's so to say at the end, okay, and, and P.S. We endorse this guy or we endorse this woman. Uh, Got it. Well, Connie, we're going to unfortunately have to wrap up the show in just a few moments. I want to thank you so much for calling in today. And we just want to remind you one more time that uh, this is a great moment right here. I know it's uh, it's tough. We have to keep asking for your help. But without you, there is no show. There is no station. Uh, there is no driving forces. Go to WBAI.org today. Please support us. You can give a one-time donation or even better, you can become a BAI buddy and give a recurring monthly donation. It only takes a few minutes to set up. You can do it right online. Set it and forget it and uh, keep enjoying the programming here. Jeff, uh, before we go, I just want to make sure that we thank our special guest today, Casey Seiler, editor of the Times Union newspaper of Albany. Talk to us about political endorsements. Thanks as always to you, our listeners, and to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. Thanks to our callers. Jeff, what's coming up on City Watch this weekend? Sure. And the first thing I just want to do is just give a little programming note there for anyone who saw the WBAI website or our social media. We were supposed to have Senator Kirsten Gillibrand on today, but at the last minute they had to cancel due to a scheduling conflict. They're looking at having her back on with Celeste and me on the 27th of this month because we are preempted next week. So we'll be back with you in two weeks. This Sunday, David Brand is hosting City Watch at 10 in the morning. He's going to focus on New York's new marijuana laws. He'll be talking with the state's Office of Canada Management Director Christopher Anderson and also New York Times reporter Ashley Southall, the former police bureau chief who is now focused on cannabis. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with me, Celeste Katz-Marston, and Jeff Simmons. Thanks for listening. Now stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. See you on the radio.